Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you did come to earth and you came with one purpose, and that purpose was to free us, to change us, to give us lives, true lives, to give us hope, to give us your salvation. And we look forward to that day we get to see you face to face. and We get to see that baby in the manger that's our, our Lord Jesus. And we get to spend eternity with you. So we look forward to that day and we ask that you would just be part of this message. Be in every word. Open every heart. And help us, Lord, to hear what you want us to hear and and respond the way you want us to respond. In your name we pray. Amen. It's been uh, pretty tough on a lot of people around the world. And it's funny how we're bombarded with all kinds of statistics. We're bombarded with statistics, and some of us even know about bank failures and company failures and massive job cuts and massive layoffs and foreclosures and bankruptcies. And, and it just seems that everybody is talking about those stats, those statistics. So those numbers are pretty, pretty well communicated throughout the news. But, you know, there's a stat that nobody seems to be talking about. And we're going to talk about that today. It's the stats on the number of people around the world who are bankrupt of hope. It's a catastrophe that's hitting the world. It's a global catastrophe. People around the world are lacking hope. Hope. What an interesting commodity in today's market. You look around and you see that there's been a lot of investments made. And that's really why there's a bankrupt of hope around the world right now, because a lot of those investments have actually failed. People have invested into their marriages, their careers, their children, their 401ks, games, toys, homes, everything. Look at the investments that we've made and look at what's actually happened to those investments. And that's why there's a catastrophe. There's a problem right now with hope. How do you feel today? How much hope do you have today? I pray that you're encouraged today by this message I pray that as the ground is sinking around us and that we look around and we realize that our investments haven't really been successful and that if we're lacking hope today, I pray that the Lord just gives us a little more hope today. Now, I've thought about this and I was thinking about how when you look at investments, one of the big things, and I can talk to Carl about that, is they say that you need to diversify your investments. The worst thing you can do is put all of your investments in one place. Just think if you had a million dollars and you invested it in Mervyn's, what would have happened? Or you would have invested it in Merrill Lynch or some of these other companies that have gone under or other stocks that have just gone down so far how much you would have lost. But they say, diversify. 
Instead of investing in one company, invest in 5, 10, 20, 30. I don't know what the current market stats are on that, but let's say you did invest in 30 companies and two of them or 10 of them or 20 of them went down. Your hope is that the other 20 or 10 would go up and it would balance. But we're talking about a worldly principle about diversification. There's a heavenly principle that doesn't have anything to do with diversification. There's only one investment. There's only one place that you can put your money in that you guarantee that you'll get a return. Your money, your life, everything that you own, and that is the Lord Jesus. There is no other investment. Diversification does not work as far as our lives and our real hopes are concerned. So we're going to talk about a person who really had a good investment. And you see that when all failed and all fell apart, he came out of it strong because he had made the right investment. And it wasn't in things. Let's go to the book of Job. Ah, I heard a few people like that. You like the book of Job, don't you? You know what I read? A gentleman said the book of Job is not for shallow people. It said it's about going deeper with God. So if you're shallow today, you might want to turn the switch off and not listen. Because Job is a real interesting, and I've read the story over and over and over, the first few chapters of Job. Oh, man, are they staggering. Talking about investment, this is a man that had everything. We know he had 7,000 sheep. Give me a break. 3,000 camels. He says 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants, and he had seven sons and three daughters. He says he was one of the greatest men in the East. But I love uh, the message says about Job in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, it says he was honest, inside and out, a man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. He was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. So he wasn't just a man that had a whole bunch of stuff, but he had invested his life truly in the right place, in God, his Lord. He was totally devoted to him. Now, we're going to study it. We're going to talk about it a little bit, but I want you to just kind of think about it. We're going to go and we're going to talk about the actual thing that happened on a given day. Because Job's living his life and having a great old time, and his kids were partying, and they had a lot of fun together. His kids would have parties, and it states there about them having parties. His sons would have parties, and they would even invite the three sisters. So they were pretty close family. And they would have parties that would go on for a while, and then Job, because he was so concerned about if they had done something, said something, thought something that offended his God, he would have sacrifices on their behalf. And what a good parent that is. A parent who's looking out for his kids, praying for his kids, worshiping God, and asking God to really, really watch over his family. And we need to do that today for our children. 
We need to pray for them. We need to love them. We need to beg and plead that the God of heaven would watch out for our babies. He didn't pray for critters. I didn't hear him praying for the cows and the sheep. He's praying for his kids. What a great man. And then we hear about an interesting situation that happened. Where Satan is like up in the heavens and the angels come and Satan's come along with him. And there's a, there's a, a conversation. And then Satan says something interesting. He said, this man, Job, is a fraud. He only worships you because of the stuff he's got. You've put a hedge around his stuff. And because of that hedge, that's why he worships you. And the Lord says, go ahead. Remove the hedge, but don't touch him. We're going to talk about that today. And how Satan came in and did that. And Job's response. And I want you to think about something today. I want you to think about it honestly. Because this is not just a story. This is about life. This is about reality. This is about our relationship with our Lord or lack of relationship with our Lord. Where is your hope today? Is your hope based on Christ? Is it today? If it is, God bless you. Praise God. May you honor him. If it's not, I can guarantee you that there will be a loss. Everything will be lost one day. And if you don't have that rock to lean on, you're going to be bankrupt. And it will not be a pretty day. So I want you to think about this story and understand that it applies to all of us. There's a message for every single one of us. Now, we're going to go, we're going to talk about a couple different points. The first point is that Satan's plans is to accuse and destroy, and he takes no prisoners. I want you to think about this, this being Satan. He's an interesting being. And you think about it. You go to the Bible and you read the scriptures. And from the beginning of time, he has wanted to ruin God's plan. You go to the garden. And what does he say to Eve? Did God say this? And God in the previous chapter did say it. Don't eat from that tree. And what did he say? Did God really say that to Eve? And what did Eve say? She said, the woman says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say. You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. I don't think he said not to touch it. He says not to eat. But she went on to say that. So she got the message. She heard the message. But Satan said to her, very interesting. You will not surely die. God is a liar. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. He said to Eve, God lied. You're not going to die. He does not want you to get a blessing. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want me to preach this message. I'll let you know that. 
He does not want to be exposed. He says, no, I'm thinking about you, Eve. I want you to know something. I want you to know everything. I want you to be like God, like me. Because, you know, that's where he failed. Do you remember? You read about him and it says in Isaiah, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of dawn. You have been cut down to earth. You who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's what Satan said and that's why he failed. And his commitment was, I'm going to make you fall as well. And look at throughout history what Satan has been doing. What an adversary. He could be standing up here right now, wanting to do something to harm. But what did God say to Satan? You can do this, but you can't do that. God has restrained him. You can believe that. But he will do exactly what he can do. Zechariah says that, talks about Joshua when it says that, and Satan was standing at his right hand to resist him. Matthew talks about Peter, and Peter is saying, no, don't go to the cross. No way. You don't want to die. Die at the cross. No way. That's not the plan. He says, get behind me, Satan. Your mind is not on the things of God. It's on the things of earth. Your focus is wrong. You're thinking about worldly things. And then in Luke, it says, in this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound 18 long years. And then it says, Satan entered Judas. For what purpose? To ruin God's plan. And you remember about Herod, how Herod came and he said he killed all the babies. Why? What was the purpose? Satan was trying to kill the baby Jesus, the one that we just sung about today. Because he didn't want this plan, God's plan to be fulfilled. I want you to think about Satan this morning, honestly. I want you to look at something that maybe you haven't looked at. Because it talks about him as just roaming around, looking to devour, looking to trip up, looking to hurt. Looking to distract you right now. Looking to make your mind focus on something other than this conversation, this scripture. Looking to distract you to think about something in the world. To think about anything other than Satan's attacks that are designed to cripple, to kill, to harm, to destroy. Right now, his goal is to destroy everybody in here. And if you look at the passage, let's look at this one passage. In scripture, let's look at when it talks about in Job how he told Satan in verse 11, verse chapter 1, verse 11, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you. That's the Satan telling the Lord. And then the Lord in verse 12 says, the Lord said to him very well, everything he has is in your hands, but the man himself do not lay a finger on. And it says, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. 
And what did he do? One day, it says that Job's sons and daughters were feasting, drinking wine in the brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and carried them off, and they put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. He killed every single one of the servants except one. Every single one of the donkeys, as well as the oxen. Every single one he killed. And while he's still speaking, while he's still talking, another servant comes up and says, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another one came and said, the Chaldeans were raiding parties, came down, the camels carried them all off, and they killed the servants, except me. There's three servants now rescued. Then while he was still speaking, another one came and says, your sons and daughters now were feasting, drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when they suddenly a mighty wind came down and struck the corners of the house and it collapsed on them. And they are dead. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Wow. Wow. I want you to see something there. Look at the attack. Look at how Satan attacked. First of all, he came and he destroyed everything. Every piece of materials, everything that he owned except for four servants. He attacked and killed everybody. What kind of enemy is that? who's committed to destroying everything that we own. And then later on in chapter 2, it says, after he had failed, he says, stretch out your hand and strike his flesh, and he will surely curse God to your face. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job. He didn't go out and take any time. He didn't go out and take a break. He afflicted him immediately. And look at where he struck him. It says that he went and struck him from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. He didn't leave anything. His attacks are different. Can you see that? When he attacks His goal is to kill, to destroy everything he can destroy. He will destroy our families. He will destroy our bank accounts. He will destroy our homes. He will destroy our jobs. He will destroy our health. He will go as far as he can go. Remember that. This is a different kind of foe. And this is why we need to be on our guard. We need to be aware of the enemy, that the enemy is now prowling in this room. It says that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He looks for opportunities, and every single opportunity he's given, he takes. The only reason that he doesn't go further is because God doesn't allow him to. 
We have a defense attorney, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And praise God for that. Spurgeon wrote about this. says, Satan will struggle very sternly. He wants to pluck God's jewels from his crown if he can. God's jewels. It says, and take the Redeemer's precious stones even from the breastplate itself. He considers them. He considers God's people, viewing them as hindrances to his reign. He contrives methods by which he may remove them out of the way or turn them to his own account. Darkness would cover the earth if he could blow out the lights. I want you to understand something that's very, very, very important. And I don't want to just, just spend too much time on Satan. But this creature is committed to destroying our lives. And we need to know that. If he could turn the lights off, they're off. If he could destroy our testimony and remove that jewel from the crown, he's removing it. If he could make God's people turn their back on him, he would do it. That's his goal, to destroy you and to destroy me. And for those in here that don't know him, he will use everything he can to make you think that you know and you believe the truth when it's a lie. Some of you believe that you are saved and you are wrong. And he wants to keep you believing that you're saved, that everything's okay. He is interested in nothing less than destruction, total destruction. And if I can't destroy you and kill you and hurt you physically, materially, then I'll deceive you. And I'll make you think a lie is the truth. How many of you in here know that you're saved? There's some that that is an absolute lie. You're not. And Satan has promoted that lie. He's developed that lie. He's committed to keeping that lie. He's committed to keeping you down in the thinking that everything's okay and you're going to hell. What a lie to believe. But you have to look at the person, the being that's behind the lie. He's big, guys. He's no game. He's real. He's effective. He's committed. And he's powerful. George Marsh wrote that he was martyred by the Queen of Queen Mary, and he wrote a letter to some of his friends. He said, The servants of God cannot at any time come and stand before God, that is, lead a godly life and walk innocently before God. But Satan cometh among them, that is, he daily accuseth them, findeth fault, vexeth, persecuteth persecutes and troubles them, the godly, every day. For it is the nature and the property of the devil to always hurt, to do mischief unless he is forbidden of God. But unless God doth permit him, he can do nothing at all, not as much as enter a filthy pig. So we're talking about the enemy, and I'm mentioning how strong he is, but understand that without God's restraining power, he would, he would be nothing. 
But again, without God's restraining power, we would see hell on earth. I guarantee you, if God removed his restraining power from Satan, we would see hell on earth. Look at the evil on earth today, how bad it is. Only God's restraining power, only because God has not blown out the lights. Christians, your light is bright. If you're truly hoping in Jesus and loving Jesus and resting in Jesus. He says, keep the lights lit. It's a hopeless world out there. Our lights must stay lit. Satan wants to put out our lights. He wants to distract us from believing that he is in charge, that he is in control. He wants us to rest on things, not on him. He wants us to trust in things, depend on things like jobs, careers, 401s, when it's him that we need to have our foundation resting on him and him only. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all that he has, but stretch out your hand. He will surely curse you. Have we cursed God? May it never be that we ever curse God because of what he brings, whatever problems he brings in our lives. And then the Lord said to him, very well, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. That is the only reason that Satan spared his life. It's because God said you can't take his life. And that's the only reason that God has, Satan has not done any more damage in our households, in our families, in our own lives. Because God says, no, you can't. We look at our ailments, we look at our situations, we look at what we have, and we think, wow, this is unbelievable. This is terrible. And Satan is definitely interested in crushing our spirits today. Turning the lights off. Turning off our hope, our dependence. And he's good at it. And he's committed to it. But God says, I only let you go so far. And remember, Christians, God is still on the throne. And Satan is a bounded, defeated enemy. He is destined for hell and he knows he's going to lose. And he's committed to taking every single person who doesn't know him with him. And every Christian, he can turn off the lights. He's committed to turning off the lights. Why would Satan want to turn off the lights? Because he wants to thwart God's plan. He does not want Christians walking around today with the hope of Christ lit up in their life so that people see Christ in us. Ado talked about love last week. Sylvia talked about just having a knowing God and having a relationship. He doesn't want us to know God. He wants us to be deceived. He wants us to think that God doesn't want this or God wants this. No, the truth is that God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I'm with you to the ends of time. He says, I promise to come and rescue you and take you to be with me. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. That's God's intention. That's God's will. Satan says, no, don't believe that. Christians, don't believe that. Look at your 401. Look at your house. Look at your health. Look at your situation. Look at how devastating things look around you. Turn the lights off. Why? I don't want people to see your light because they'll be drawn to the one who lit the light. And I don't want them to come to him. Satan says, I'm interested in them going to hell just like me. Christians, keep your light on vigilantly. 
keep our stakes in the ground. Knock them further and further and further down so like we can be like Job. What a great man of God Job was. We know that 1 Corinthians says that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What a God we have. He says, I'm not leaving you and I'll never leave you. I'll provide whatever ammunition you need in that gun so that you can fight until the end. Are we going to fight until the end, Christians? Yes, we are going to fight until the end. We have to. Satan wants to put out, he wants, he wants to blow the light out. And I spent so much time on Satan, and, 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 and he, he doesn't even deserve it. He doesn't deserve the time I just invested in him. But he needs to be seen for who he is, and he needs to be realized for who he is, and we need to respond the way we need to respond as warriors for Chris Christ. We need to fight the good fight of faith. We need to recognize our enemy. We need to look up and say, our God is on the throne, but there is a critter, a creature, a has-been, a nobody, who's interested in destroying us. And we better get that. His interest is to destroy our spirit, to distract us, to make us think what's not true is true. Non-believers, his interest is one thing. You go to hell. And he's laughing about it. Because there's many that are going to go to hell because they believe the lie. And God has been preaching and preaching and preaching the truth. Trying to debate, to clear up, to correct And we've said, no, I believe the lie. And Satan is behind the scenes laughing. Laughing. Because he knows that the ultimate destiny of those who think they're going to heaven, who aren't truly born again, is you're going to hell. And when you're in hell, there's no I wish I could. I made a mistake. Oh, no. It's over. And we're going to go through the last couple points real quickly. Point three was God always allows a purpose or has a purpose in mind in allowing suffering. And it's always good. It's always for our good. His purpose is always for the good. I read this guy who says that one possible response because you know, people says, why do bad things happen to good people? He says, one possible response is that there are no good people. <laughs> A better question might be, why does God do anything? Why does anything good happen to any of us? We seem to think that God owes us something when in fact he owes us judgment. It's by grace you have been saved. Not of works that anyone will boast because I didn't do anything to deserve the salvation that the Lord Jesus has given me. I don't deserve heaven and none of us do. Why does he allow it? To bring us nearer to God. 
to bring us to our knees, to help us to see him closely, to make the Lord Jesus our Lord and Savior, to be like Jesus, to look in the mirror and start to see Jesus. Why does he allow things to happen? Of course, sometimes it's just to correct us because sometimes we need correcting. So he'll bring judgment to correct us. Thank God for that. Sometimes he wants to refine us because we need refining. I don't know anybody in here who's like perfect. I need refining. I need a new batch of paint. I need new eyes. I couldn't see an earring. You saw it, but I didn't see it. All I saw was a blurb. I need help. He refines. He wants us to be better. And sometimes we don't even know why. Like Job. He didn't have a clue. We know what his wife said. She said, curse God and die. What are you doing holding on to your integrity? Who are you? What are you thinking? Took your kids? Took all our property? Our 401 is bankrupt. All this milk that I was getting from these little critters is gone. All the status that we have is gone. What would happen if God took it all from us? What would you and me do? We curse God? Would we? He could. He could take it all. And it is infinite wisdom. He knows who to take it all from. Because our God is a great God. And he's an all-knowing God. And he doesn't make mistakes. I'm going to read something else, but I'm going to go to something else. Because we need to end. I know you're watching, Adel, and I'm watching you too. And I'm watching the clock, Adel. And point number four, we're just going to go to point number four because where is our hope today? And I like this. I like that. Where's our hope today? Where's your hope today? Where have you invested your hope today? Where is it? Is it in a 401k? Because I tell you, there is a bankruptcy of hope around the world. That's a commodity that is very valuable today. If you own hope, you have the most valuable commodity on the market today. Hope. Wow. What a wonderful, valuable commodity. Hope. What is hope? An anticipation of the future turning out good. I hope. Wow. you got auto workers hoping what? That their jobs are kept. And there's nothing wrong with that. you got auto companies hoping that they get bailed out. Hoping. Why? Because if I get bailed out, then I'll have this lifestyle. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But where's our hope? What's the foundation of our hope today? Where does your hope rest on? If you lost the job, where's your hope then? There's one commodity that is very valuable, and that's hope. But we're talking about a certain kind of hope. Hope in Christ. Because that kind of hope guarantees a different kind of return. It's a return that will blow your mind. One with Christ, fellowship with Christ, singled out, destined for heaven, And all this world's travesties and problems don't mean anything. Where's your hope today? Is your hope in the Giants winning the Super Bowl? 
or the Cowboys or the 49ers. Impossible. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Point number four, where is your hope today? Are you a fair weather Christian? Everything's fair. The sun is out. I love Jesus. God bless. I love you so much, Lord. Everything's great. Oh, boy, there's a storm coming in. Well, I kind of love you, Lord. Now the rain, the thunder's coming down. Well, you know, let's turn on the football game. I'm going to miss church today because I don't feel well. My job is more important. I don't want to lose my job. I'm going to miss church. Oh, it's really a game. i got to sniffle. I can't go to church. can't worship. can't worship God. Things aren't happening really well. We don't want to be like this, uh, this gentleman I read about. Says a young man had worked for years to establish his, himself as a peach grower and had invested his whole small peach orchard, which bloomed bounting, bounteously, just bloomed. He came, but then came the frost. So he had a great peach farm. <laughs> I like peaches. He didn't go to church the next Sunday, nor the next, nor the next. His minister went out to hunt him up and found out what's the reason. A discouraged young man claimed, no, there was, I don't want to go back to church. I'm not coming anymore. Do you think God, I can worship God who loves me so little that he will let frost kill my peaches? You think that I'm going to come to church when God has allowed my career to go down, my 401 to go down, let my ex- everything go to part and let my marriage fall apart, and I can't find the best the, the spouse? How can I go and worship this God who hasn't given me what I want, hasn't fulfilled my needs? Hasn't provided for me. Let me. He let me have all this stuff, and then he took it away. How can I bless this God and love this God and worship this God? I'm not coming to church. Boy, he got an earful. And the old minister looked at him for a moment in silence and replied, replied kindly, Young man, God loves you better than he loves the peaches. He knows that while the peaches do better without frost, it's impossible to grow the best men without frost. His object is to save, grow the best men, not peaches. His object with difficulty is not to grow peaches and to grow 401s and to grow houses and to grow anything on this world that's going to disappear. His commitment is to grow men and women that stand tall for the Lord and say, may it never be, I'm going to stay faithful to the end, I'm going to be like Job. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Though he slay me, I will trust him. And you know the thing that I love about Job, and maybe I'm just one of these goofy people when I'm reading it, When I read about when he got up and tore his robe, I pictured him. And I said, one of the things that's interesting about Job is after they had, he killed all of his servants and all his critters and killed his his children. It says that Job got up 
Well, what was he doing down? Praying. I believe when the first servant came and said the critters are dead, he got on his knees before his God and says, Lord, please help me. And then the next servant came and he's down, he's bowed down saying, Lord, if it's in your mercy, please help. And then the next one came, he's still down. Lord, I love you. You take it. It's, I understand, but please, can you help? Then the fourth one came and his children are gone. Everything is gone. And it says that he got up, tore his robes, and shaved his head, and he looked like me. <laughs> kind of. He shaved his head. He was burdened. He was hurting. He shaved his head, tore his robe, and he fell down on the ground and worshipped. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I want to be a Job. If you take it all, Lord Jesus, help me to tear whatever I need to tear, to remove whatever I need to remove, but to fall down and worship. Worship meaning what? To praise his name because he's worthy of praise. There is no other reaction we as Christians to give him except praise. The world is looking for hope because it's lost today. We got it. Satan is doing one thing. The little kitty song says something about don't let Satan blow it out or something. Satan wants to blow out the lights. He doesn't want us to be lit for Christ. He doesn't want us to worship him in our situation. He doesn't want us to focus on heaven. He wants us to focus on earth. Wow, what a God we have. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to put on the armor of God, which we know about. He wants us to be, to stand against the devil's schemes. And he wants us to say, like Job, though he slay me, though he slay me, you take my life, take everything. I'll still worship you, God, Jesus, Lord Jesus, because you deserve it. Spurgeon was saying, he says, our chief joy is the hope of the world to come. Think of the world to come, my brothers, my sisters. Let your joys begin to kindle into flames of delight, for heaven offers you all that you can desire. You are, many of you, weary of toil. Weary of it. Toil has gotten so much, it's like I can't handle it. So weary, perhaps, that you may scarcely enjoy the morning service because of the late hours in which you have had to work or be in misery because of any pain or suffering. 
Ah, but there is a land of rest. A perfect rest where the sweat of labor no more bedows or bedews the worker's brow and fatigue is ever banished. Those who are weary and spent, the word rest is full of heaven. I know where your hope lies. It lies in the victory when the banner shall be waved aloft and the sword shall be sheathed and you shall hear your captain say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast fought the good fight. Thou hast finished the course. Henceforth, wear the crown of life which fadeth not away. Some of you have been tossed by many troubles and you go from care to care, from loss to loss. And it seems to you as if all God's waves and billows had gone over you. But you shall arrive at the land of happiness where you shall bathe your weary soul in the seas of heavenly rest. You shall have no poverty soon, no mud hovel, no rags, no hunger. In my father's house are many mansions and there shall you shall dwell there satisfied with favor and full of every blessing. Let's keep hope alive. And let's not let Satan blow it out and kill our joy, our peace, our hope. We have the value, most valuable commodity, our hope in our Savior returning and our destiny to be with him in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And every pain, every problem, every tear shall be wiped away and we shall see him as he is and we will walk with him and we'll be freed from this world. He says, keep your eyes on heaven, not on earth. Keep your focus right. Keep your flame ablaze. Let the world see the hope. Let the world see the joy. Let the world see the peace. Draw them to me because my purpose is to save the lost today. And it's through your living faithfully for Christ and loving him. And we love that verse. I know the plans you have for me, declares the Lord, plans to prosper. Not to harm, plans to give you hope and a future. And that's our God. And I read this little tiny story about a little boy and his father. And they were planning a fishing trip. For the next day in the evening as the father was putting his son to bed, the boy hugged his father on his neck and said, Daddy, thank you for tomorrow. thanking his dad for what he anticipates is going to happen tomorrow. Lord Jesus, thank you for tomorrow. When you come, thank you. Help me live in thankfulness. Now we need to end and I pray that we would keep hope alive. Our hope is alive and vibrant and that we don't let Satan blow it out. That we go out and we go out into the world and we show the hope that's a lost commodity that's gone. The world needs to see our hope. It needs to see our lives that are lit up. It needs to see us not respond to the world's conditions and falling apart and not see us fall apart. That may we never fall apart because we have our Jesus to rest on. The foundation that we rest on is not sinking sand. It's the solid rock of Christ. And may we live lives that truly glorify him. And show the love of Christ. May we make sure that our hope is placed in the right place. Not on things. Not on our bodies. Not on our jobs. Not on our 401s. And we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. 
And I pray for those here today. Anybody here today that says this is it. I want that hope that Christ has and I have. I don't have it. I want that solid rock and I don't have it. I want to be saved and I'm not. Put your hand up really quickly and I'll pray for you. Just really quickly because we're going to move on and everybody's going to get to go home and I pray for you. Anybody here who wants to have that hope of Christ, put your hand up quickly and bring it down. I see your brother in the back. Anybody else? Anybody, honestly, do you have the hope? Or you put your hope in things? Our hope is in Christ. And he'll never be destroyed. Anybody else? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this hand. This person put his hand up that said to Satan, no way will I keep listening to the lie that says that I can put my faith in things and my hope in things. But I want to put my hope in you, Lord Jesus. And we pray for him today that you would enter his heart, that you would allow him to see the love of Christ, that what he would see himself as a sinner and understand that Jesus paid the price to set him free, and that by inviting him to his heart, that God will change his heart and give him a new foundation, a new hope, a new life. And all of us in here that are truly born again, I pray for each one of us, that our hope would stay alive, that Satan wouldn't be able to kill it, to destroy it, that he would allow, you would give us the strength, Lord, to walk this world and show the light of Christ with one purpose to draw other men and women to the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray Lord that you would continue to rescue the lost but more than anything Lord we ask you to come and take us home and we welcome that day and we look forward to that day as that little kid says thank you for tomorrow Lord Jesus thank you We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen.